Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the next episode of the Millionaire Secrets Show. So excited that you are here, and honestly, I'm pretty excited that I am here because it's a lot of fun to get to do this and call it work. Uh, today, I am joined by Mr. Sean Lowry. He is the founder and CEO of United Monograms. He's the host of the Sean Lowry Show podcast. Uh, he's, you know, just wildly successful entrepreneur. I relate to him because we both started in very uh, inauspicious places. He was in his mom's basement. I want to hear more about that. And I'm going to ask him all about it. Sean, welcome to the show. It's an honor to be here, Jeff. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. And, and when I say it's an honor, I mean it. This is awesome. And I'm excited to talk to you. Well, I'm, I'm flattered and, and grateful uh, that, that you would say that. I, you know, our show has grown uh, quickly. And, and we've, I think, you know, hopefully we've demonstrated to the world that all those sayings around, like if you have a heart of service, if you actually try to go do good in the world, if you, you know, Zig Ziglar said, if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll end up getting what you want. Like all that, all that stuff. They're not just, um, you know, feel good uh, adages. That's like actually the truth. And if we've done one thing well with this show, I think it's that we, from day one, the intention was to serve and inspire. And uh, so, yeah, I, guess, I think that's that, why we've yeah. done okay. And I appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's an amazing thing. And we were talking about how you said there's so many people out there that have built and done successful things and for somebody that's listening if somebody's listening to this that means that they're interested right that yeah. means that they're interested in becoming an entrepreneur that means that they're looking for the motivation to do something themselves and that, i love that you bring so many people on to sh continually show them that it can be done there's a lot of people out there well, that have built businesses yeah i mean i've i've had many dozens i guess i'm flirting upwards maybe close to 100 now of people that have you know that we all have they're all variations on a theme it's people that you know they started they started small then they were a little engine that could then they were a little engine that was doing then they're, now they're a little engine that did and in that journey you know the the characters and the the plot points change a little bit but like there's yeah. just so many of them you have a podcast yeah. too i mean you've done uh, i don't even know how many but tons of episodes too it's like 70 Okay. Do you think we'll ever run out of really successful, inspiring people to talk to? I don't think we'll ever run out. No, no, I, I don't either. <laughs> and and my, my goal, we were talking about this. My, my hope is that at a certain point, the preponderance of evidence overwhelms anybody else's choice to have disbelief or doubt. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a jury trial. If it, you know, by the time the prosecution gets to like exhibit number 712, <sighs> that corroborates that the defendant is guilty. Hopefully the jury's convinced at that point. And in this case, I would say between the two of us, we'll probably get to exhibit a thousand or 2000 or 5,000 <laughs> to, to demonstrate that human beings are capable of achieving great things. And hopefully by then right. the jury will be convinced. Right, and only a few years ago, I was literally one of your potential listeners that was not started doing anything yet. And then I did learn, I never necessarily like had a mentor, but through the power of podcasting and YouTube videos and being able to basically be friends with somebody who you listen to all the time, even though they don't know who you are, I truly have become wiser. And I, I'm also thankful for that, that we live in a world where that information is accessible and you can see that over and over. And it's so cool. A couple of years ago, I was nothing. Now 
I'm on my way up, but now I'm on a podcast instead of listening to one. And I'm telling you, if I, if I can do it, any of your listeners absolutely can. Yeah. So, you know, thank you, by the way, for validating my business and my mission in this world, which is I'm, I'm pretty much, I, I think I'm no holds barred at this point. I'm out to maybe not completely dismantle, but very much redefine and reframe the way people see traditional establishment education. The whole like get loans, go live on a campus for four yeah, years. Yeah, you're talking about college education? Yeah, like, college, like, but honestly, even, even grade school. I mean, I have okay. two teenagers. They are not served by their high school. I'll, I'll say it straight up. They are not served by their high school. They're not being prepared for the world we live in. They're being prepared for the world that probably their grandparents lived in. Do you think school hasn't caught up to the technology or do you think they're just teaching people to be employees or they're not teaching them life skills? I think that the fundamentals that drive the economy have evolved Yeah. to the point where, I'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> a teacher who's a low paid bureaucratic cog yes, yes. who's hanging on for a pension has so little uh, relatability or understanding of how the actual economy works now right. that there's just no way they can impart to, to the students like a real frame of how to go out. Yeah, and, and they're, just re they're just redoing their curriculum from the year before. And it doesn't like update, you know, they're yeah, just, I literally had, I had marketing classes in college and I learned zero things from them. I graduated the marketing degree, but all I remember learning was about like salad dressing on the shelf and where the placement should be of it. Right. And this wasn't even that long ago. And we didn't learn anything about social media. We didn't learn anything about ads on Facebook or any of the things that I do now. None of it was learned in college. I hope by now they're starting to update some of that business curriculum to Here, fit the modern world. Here's the problem though. Here's why I just don't think that it's, I don't think traditional education is capable of delivering the entrepreneurial message effectively is the business model of traditional education is built around the student loan system, right? Like you don't, mm -hmm. if you can't get federal student aid for your, you know, institution, you're not in business. Right. Um, but federal student aid is constructed around very specific and very narrow, uh, you know, KPIs and quantifications of what they consider to be appropriate outcomes. So like if you're a unit, I have a buddy that used to be, uh, a, a director at University of Phoenix. Okay. They almost lost their ability to accept uh, student aid because not enough people were graduating in the right fields, getting the right jobs that paid the right salaries. As long as you're measured against that standard and your financial viability is dependent upon adherence to the government's mm -hmm. definition of that standard, yes. when we know full yes. well the government wants to do a couple things. They want to graduate people to get jobs because employees yes. have, to, uh, don't get, have to prepay their taxes. They get taxes <laughs> withheld. So, they can, so the government doesn't have to right. worry about not getting their money as long as they keep the system focused on producing employees. You know who the government has to worry about paying their taxes? You and me. Right. We could choose right. to tell the government to screw off and say, hey, come and get us <laughs> because we collect all our money up front. Now, Absolutely. we probably aren't going to do that. But how could that system ever produce really sound entrepreneurial thinking? Right. They want people, right? Like when I do my payroll to my employees, and, the taxes get taken out. And, and what, is, what, is it, what does the government need to defend itself? A military. Uh, 
right? Right. Of course. Yeah. How does the military convince, you know, 18 year old kids from lower socioeconomic backgrounds to come put their life on the line and go risk getting killed and fight a war? Uh, I, don't they pay them a little bit? And The and GI Bill. Yeah, they pay yeah, them, but it's the GI yeah. Bill is the big bribe. The GI Bill. So they can't afford to have college be devalued in the public perception or else they're not going to be right. able to get 18 year olds to go risk their life uh, based on the promise. I never, of thought, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. It's, it's deep and it's profound. And when they and write if a the college, book, if, a, if a college tries to shift what they do, maybe a really entrepreneurial person takes over, the government might take away their federal loans. Oh yeah. The government that's, will that's take huge, away their federal That's loans. a huge problem. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I'm, I have my mission. I have my beliefs and I, I'm sticking to them. Um, but this is a show about you, not me. So anyway, <laughs> thank you for letting me pontificate for a minute on your episode. But um, I want to, I want to back up. I mean, you're younger, you're younger than me. I'm going off of at least visuals, but also yeah. you said that, uh, a few years ago, what you were living in your mom's basement. Yeah. Uh, yep. I'm 30 years old and I, uh, actually moved to Charleston five years ago, about two years before that I started my business in my mom's basement. So 22, 23, that's okay. when I started. That was, you know, let's say seven, eight years ago. Yes. Um, did you go to college? I did. I graduated. Well, yeah, you told me you got a marketing degree. Yep, I had the full college experience. I love the college experience, actually. For somebody who, who I didn't know I was- You get yeah, to go on right. a vacation for four years. <laughs> <laughs> I, went to, I went to class once in a while, I graduated. But exactly, and, and nothing that I have accomplished, it came from skills that I learned in college, except for maybe discipline and, and doing my own laundry and stuff like that. But none of the specific skills at all. Yeah, well, you're, you're talking to a guy who majored in jazz, piano, performance, and music <laughs> really? composition, and now I run an entrepreneurial education company. So it's, <laughs> you know, you've, that's the point. Um, it, it, in, a, in a way, that's another fundamental kind of almost like a, a logical fallacy that of, of the idea of a college teaching entrepreneurship is yeah. essentially entrepreneurship is largely about the ability to learn stuff that you're not being taught. Right. But how do you teach right. that? Right. Yeah. It's like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. You really can't. It has to be actually trying to do something in the real world and the real markets, yeah. like a lemonade stand or and, something. And, That's a real way to learn. And to be fair, I, I, I am trying. That's the code that I'm very committed to cracking is that I actually think you can teach it, but it, it you have to redefine the whole uh, foundation and the whole framework of what teaching actually is. It's not, it's not teaching in the way that we think of teaching when we think of being taught. In, in our in our past but anyway again I that's yeah I don't I don't know the answer but I love that I love that uh that you're trying to figure that out because it's so important yeah well we're 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 working on it and we're getting some good results but so seven eight years ago you're living in your mom's basement you got a marketing degree um I uh I'm tempted to talk about my ex-wife who had a marketing degree <laughs> and how much value <laughs> she added to my marketing effort <laughs> that would be if you don't have anything I'm nice guess, I'm guess, I'm guessing I'm guessing not a lot of value added well, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? Fair enough, fair That's enough. That's my mom taught me. But of course, I already, <laughs> I already violated that by even bringing it up. But I get, I get your message, yeah. <laughs> so, also okay, acts, so, yeah. So, so what happened, man? You're living in your mom's basement. Clearly, things are not uh, panning out. And then all of a sudden, now you, you, know, now you have a, what, $15 million e-commerce business. So right. something changed. What changed? Well, well, I wasn't living in my mom's basement. I was living in my bedroom upstairs in my mom's okay. house. <laughs> but... Uh, I graduated college and I, I read the book Think and Grow Rich when I was 19 and I still had two years of college left and I shifted my whole mindset. I became a new person. It's on my desk. Book. She can't so see the my, show. I'm holding up the book. 
that's crazy. And I know so many people that that book has done the same thing for them. But basically, I became a new person around 1920. And I was having such a great time at college. I was like vice president of my fraternity. I was trying to do some entrepreneurial things. But then I graduated. And I knew I wanted to start my own business. And for some reason, I just went on this normal path. I got a sales job, a phone call job. And I did it for three months. And I had this urge every day. I actually knew I didn't make any friends there at that job uh, subconsciously. I didn't go out to lunch with anyone. And I knew that eventually I was not going to be there. And then after three months, I, woke, I uh, got up. Bathroom was to the left on a Monday morning and the doors to the right. And I just walked out and just left. And, and it was just in my soul. It was like bubbling inside of me every day. And it would like wait on me. I just wanted to start my own thing. I knew yeah. the power of it. So I didn't really know what, and I'm no brilliant coder or some type of type of super genius. I'm more of like a logic effort type of person. So my mom's basement and granted my mom is a small townhouse. So it's not really the, the spot, but I, didn't really know what business to start and I struggled for a while, but I started with t-shirts and one thing led to another to where I am now, but it was that great. It was the decision that I made at that time. I'm like, I am going to earn my own life. And it was easier then because I, I didn't have bills. I mean, I had my mom's old beat down car. I had to pay for gas for that. And I was allowed to stay in her basement. So I'm one step up there fortunate more than someone else who might yeah. you want to start later in life with a mortgage. Cause you do need to kind of cover uh, your basic expenses to be able to do something. And then people go down the path of, well, I'm going to keep my job and I'm going to keep it. And then on the side, I'm going to start my thing. And that works for some people. I don't like that. An analogy I like, it's kind of dark, but like if you have a baby and you take care of it, sometimes that baby is either going to, I don't know, die or like it's going to not grow to be a great person. Like I think, the best way to do it is just give full attention. And I knew that had a little bit of wisdom from that at that age. So I decided my adult life is coming up. I need to learn how to have my adult life be as only one thing. And that's an entrepreneur. And I struggled for a long time, but it was the best decision I ever made. And I'm so happy that I did it. Yeah. So it's interesting. The side hustle question. Yeah. I, you, I, I, very you just, you just, uh, you know, I don't know if you stepped on a, a landmine or a or an oasis, but it's a it's a big thing, whatever it is, because if we define entrepreneurship as something that's primarily accessible for people that are young enough and single enough, so to yeah. speak, that they don't have respons competing responsibilities, that's a very different world that we create than if we define entrepreneurship as something that's reasonably available to everyone who's willing to make certain sacrifices. Right. Um, you know what I mean? That's, that's a fundamental divide. It so is. So I'd like to talk a little more about that. If, if yeah, I love this. Especially because my audience, I mean, I'm, here's the thing. I'm 41. I'm a dad. I have four kids. And so I know my audience. Uh, you know, I see my, my YouTube demographic metrics. And like mm -hmm. my average person, my audience is like 40, 50 years old. They, okay. They've been in, a lot of them have been employed. Um, a lot of them have family. And, and so, if they're listening, and if they're listening to this, that means that they're interested in doing it at that age, which exactly. is different than me being 22. Yeah. And exactly. I don't know. I mean, I definitely don't have any experience with that because of, I just told how I started. Right. But I, I, one thing I, one thought I have, cause I've thought about this before is if you get a business that generates revenue quicker than maybe an app where you need to go get funding, you never have revenue. If you have a service, uh, like, 
let's use lawn mowing, for example, or sell a product like t-shirts or something like that. And you can put your life on a credit card and then just survive by paying minimums and still have a bottom line profit while your business is growing, but then be able to survive because you're paying off minimums on your credit card because you have some revenue coming in here and there. That's one way that you can maybe quit it all, but I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So I, I mean, I work with a lot of people through this, this exact question. And, and I think that um, it's not so much an either or it's a, it's a perspective and a, and a, and a, and a, an understanding just about that. It's supposed to be really hard. Yes. Yes. And so look, yes. if you've got, if you have to work eight hours a day to, to feed your family and you have zero, you know, you don't have the savings, you don't have the cushion, you know, right. whatever to, to, you don't even have any sick days. Like you can't miss a day. Great. Work eight hours a day to feed your family. But don't kid yourself that, you know, in, in the 15 minute or 30 minute break between Seinfeld and friends reruns <laughs> two nights a week, you're going to build a million dollar side hustle. Or even that 15 minute break during your eight hour job. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> you've got to realize that having a full-time job and building an entrepreneurial, you know, side endeavor is very similar to having two full-time jobs. There you go. Now, That's a good way people to go, oh, I can't have two full-time jobs, but actually you can. This is you why can. so much of my bookshelf and my study and my teaching and training is about, it's about like the Navy SEALs culture and it's about extreme athletes and it's about fighters. It's not about, I mean, and it's about some entrepreneurs, but I'm only interested, I'm primarily interested in the entrepreneurs that had to demonstrate, you know, next level grit and hustle in order to do what they did yeah. because i don't think we serve the world by going out and telling people that if if you just invent the next app you can make no. 20 million dollars i think we serve the world by telling people that if you don't have everything you want in this world it's because your pain tolerance isn't high enough that's i love that it's a great way to put it and, and what would you so obviously you said two full-time jobs is basically what it is that's a lot of full-time jobs that's two usually people have one like so obviously it takes the extra effort and energy what do you say to somebody who's like i don't have the energy i would say this is why i teach this sequence of priorities physical okay. then personal mm -hmm. then and only then professional get I your agree. look you're not going to have energy if your energy source is not optimized and energized you can't live on mcdonald's and expect to have the energy to do two full-time jobs and raise a family you know i have yeah. four kids I'm, I'm typically awake for 18 or 19 hours a day. I take a 20, 30 minute nap most days. Really? Um, but the very first thing, you know, the, the first rock that I put in my jar every day is the biggest rock. I go to the gym. Every day at 5 a.m. I go Orange Theory Fitness. Nice. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's the thing. Like it, it's, but, but my, my belief system is that people actually have way more time than they realize. Yeah. They just aren't good enough at saying no. And if they've been working a, a, a nine to five their whole life, they have this certain like routine that they're used to yeah. and it's hard for them to comprehend uh, how much more time there is and how much more you can accomplish. You can get so much done in one day. Oh my but God. If you, but if you have a certain expectation of what's normal to get done in one day, then it, you got to break that belief about how much is possible for one person to get done in one day because you can get more done than you think. Even I can get more done than I think. It's, it's. Well, it's yeah, different. nobody, I mean, uh, you know, productivity is an asymptote, right? It's a straight line that the curve gets closer and closer to, but you never touch it. 
You're never right. actually as productive as you could be. Absolutely not. I, uh, I remember when I went to, so in 2018, I sold my agency to a, a company. It was a funded software company. It was, a, it was like a young, innovative startup, high energy cool. culture, supposedly. Mm -hmm. I sold my agency to them. And part of the deal was that I would go in and do some consulting on their uh, sales, both the sales, the sale, the selling itself, like with the sales nice. guys and also sales processes and sales management and sales systems. Nice. And so I went in a, a few days and the bottom line is I realized drop any really successful entrepreneur into just about any company in the world and everybody's going to hate us <laughs> because we're going to show them what work looks like. Yeah. You know, yeah. these guys, like, I mean, hey, they're, man, they're, like, they're playing you're telling, you're telling a teacher. <laughs> at a basketball hoop in the office. And they used it? Like they, yeah. yeah. Like shooting free throws between sales calls and stuff. And it's like, look, there's a time, and if I have a basketball hoop in my house, there's a time and a place for that. Right. Sometimes it's nice to take a breath, clear your mind, but sometimes. But I, yeah, I mean, this, this cultural, you know, the culture of like the feel good workplace. Look, I mean, I'm not saying life, you know, you shouldn't want to feel good in life, but you have to choose. You know, there's a, there's a cost and an opportunity cost exactly. for every decision. Exactly. If you are unhappy, then, then, then you need to learn this stuff. You need to work harder. And then, yeah. but if you're happy then, and you're not complaining, then keep doing what you're doing. That's fine. Yeah. But a lot of these people, obviously, if they're listening to this and they want to start a company, they want to start a side hustle, they want to start a business, no matter what age they're at, it probably means with whatever they're doing now, they're unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. Th admittedly. Although I like to think I'm, I'm a positive guy, but you might be right. I might be largely attracting unhappy people that are looking. <laughs> well, well, there's a diff there's a step there. There's unhappiness, but then these people are at least taking the step to listen. And yeah. that is a positive step. That means that they could be listening to something else right now. They could be listening to sports talk. They could be listening to, you'd be watching porn. They could be doing anything else, yeah. you know, but they are listening. So, I mean, so the, so the 40, 50 year old who has a family that is looking to start a business, uh, the answer is work more. Is that, is that the basic well, answer you think? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If I say yes to that question, people are going to get angry that I'm oversimplifying and being like reductive and unhelpful. So I'm not, mm -hmm. not going to go so far as to say yes, but I, I will say uh, to touch on what we said just a second ago, I do think there's a big difference between unhappy and dissatisfied. Okay. Yeah, and I think I have an, I have an audience. By the way, this is not a small group of people. Uh, I mean, the group of people in the world that are dissatisfied, that's the vast majority of the world, right? Sure. And, and certainly, yeah, I, th I think I'm a lot more comfortable saying that's, that's my audience and probably the audience on your show too. I mean, if people are looking to have more health, more wealth, better relationships in this world, it's an expression of dissatisfaction, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say it's just work harder. I would say it's work harder one of the things you need to work harder at is saying no to the good things in your life. One of the most powerful concepts that I was ever exposed to is realizing that good really is the enemy of great. And that most of us, to the, when we are dissatisfied, we tend to salve our dissatisfaction by populating our life with good things that make us feel good, right? There's yeah. a problem with that. Then there's no room left for greatness. And so the purge which is necessary yeah. is the, is the hardest thing that many will never do. Yeah. I, I want to be helpful to the audience. Uh, but one thing that I did, I lived in Philly 
I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, just me and my fiance who actually runs the company with me and, and we're an amazing team. I did it for one reason. I have tons of friends and family in Philadelphia, high school friends, college friends, family. I know zero people in Charleston, South Carolina, zero people. I moved here to get away from all my loved ones on purpose so that I could focus my energy solely on my business. So I wouldn't have to go to my cousin's birthday party, to, to my uncle's fishing trip. Like I purposely moved away on purpose just to focus, to do what you said, get, yeah. to say no to some of those pleasantries and enjoyable things. I don't know if that's a situation that every, everyone can be in, especially if you have kids or in school and all that stuff, but that goes to what you said. I was lucky enough to do it at the right time in my life. But yes, you have to say no to going to golf with your buddies on the, on the weekend. And, and I was just sick of saying no. My friends stopped liking me. Now they love me because when I see them, it's like I made a trip to go see them so they appreciate it. But I was just saying, no, I don't want to hang out. No, and they're like, Lowry won't hang out with anyone anymore. He's sitting over at his office. Like they don't get it. So I'm making the move. I was like, I'm going to move to a more beautiful place. Justified it. And now a couple of years have passed. And every time I see my friends and family, it's amazing. It's so much more rewarding and packing in great family and friend time into weekends or, or Thanksgiving. Right. So I, I structurally did that instead of having to constantly keep saying, no, I did it structurally. I moved to a city where I knew zero people. And that goes to that. That's, that's powerful. Uh, you know, the city of brotherly love, I guess a lot of people don't differentiate between love and time. Right. You know, you can, you can love your well Philadelphian said. brothers, but it doesn't mean you got to spend all your time with them. Very well said. And a lot of people probably just, it's guilt. Like if I lived near my mom, she would probably come over more. She'd probably want to go out to dinner. She'd come over for Sunday dinner or something like that. I mean, now I can't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> the long, that just is an example. Time, right? It's an example, an extreme example of, but of exactly what you said. So you got to say no. And people aren't going to like you as much, but if you explain it to them or find a way to justify it, then you can set that time aside and focus on your better, your better life and doing this thing that will make you from dissatisfied to satisfied. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too. I mean, you said like, yeah, if somebody has a family, maybe they can't do that or whatever, you know, listen, you can, depending on what you offer in return, you can sell anyone on anything. So let's say you do have a family and you want to convince them to let's in your case, let's say move to another city so that you have more time, more focus uh, to produce a different result. If the offer is big enough, I promise they will enthusiastically say yes to that. If you say, listen, if we make this move five years from now, we're going to have, and I'm, I'm, this is hypothetical. We're going to have a private jet and our own Island with a runway to land the jet on. Right. If, if, there's, if you're confident and credible in saying that, and by the way, I'm not saying that should be the offer because frankly, right, families right. usually aren't that superficial and materialistic. <laughs> just hypothetically, the people would go, well, but yeah, I would never tell them that because I don't know if it's going to happen. It could be something more simple. My let me say, well, let me say this. Weather. Okay. Yeah, but yeah the we I mean, the weather's, you know, that's circumstantial, but I, I actually think there's power in making the offer something that is solely dependent on your output because the weather's the weather right i'd rather right. tell them listen guys if we do this dad's going to be retired in 10 years instead of 30 years because then what happens if you do make the move you're either a hypocrite who doesn't meet the deadline or right. you're a winner who does and that right. kind of pressure that's that's the reason most people won't i believe is actually the reason most people should 
the reason most people won't is the reason most people should. Yeah, that's basically like facing your fears and doing the uncomfortable thing, which is what entrepreneurship- It'll push you to be better. About. You don't want to disappoint your family. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And they, and they Absolutely. sacrifice for you, so then you won't resist sacrificing for them. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It, yeah. So anyway- and it, put, it, put, it, put, it, put you, it puts your back against the wall, and basically, okay. there's, there's the story I love. is this military general. He brings his army- to the beach to go fight the go fight the war and uh they, their only way out is to go back on the boat and he burns the boat down so he's like oh you yeah win you can either win or die i'm and pretty sure motivated. that was uh that was francisco pizarro okay when he uh <laughs> yeah sure he invaded where was pizarro i think that was maybe <laughs> brazil the brazilian area I honestly i honestly don't even know i just kind yeah. of took the way the i took away the uh, story without the specifics <laughs> um but anyway so Okay, so, so just to get the timeline right, you're 22, 23, you're still in Philadelphia. Yep. That's when you start the, the is that, was it United Monograms at first or was it just kind of no, like no. figuring stuff out? No I had name. a bunch of different names. I started selling, um, I had a big Notre Dame football account. That's my favorite team. I love okay. fighting Irish. Cool. made a Twitter account at like 60,000 followers and I would just tweet on game days. And this was after I had a failed like screen printing business. That I just went to like my old fraternity and tried to do screen printing. But then I started selling t-shirts to them because I had the equipment in my mom's basement. So I started selling t-shirts on a Shopify site to this Notre Dame audience. And it was my first success. Uh, it was 2012 when they made the national championship. And I remember one day I had like $2,000 in sales. And I thought I was a mega billionaire. It was an right. incredible feel. It was an incredible feeling. That got shut down for copyright infringement. But I found out that I love the selling of things online. So then I started selling American Pride t-shirts. It was like 4th of July was coming up. And I sold a bunch of, I made like an America Twitter account. I started gathering audiences and mm. selling products to them, which in my case was t-shirts because I already had the equipment. Then my girlfriend got involved, now wife. She started to get the girl stuff involved. That helped for a while. She started selling on Etsy. People asked about these things called monograms, which are very, where are you located? I'm in uh, St. George, Utah, Southern Utah. Utah. So yeah, you probably don't even know. Monograms are very Southern tradition. It's your initials on your on your front left chest of your clothing. It's oh like, yeah, it's I, grew up in, it's, I grew up in Texas and they did okay, that. Okay, yeah. Texas is our number one state in sales. Okay, yeah. uh, so monograms, it's a girl thing. It's built into the Southern tradition. And we found this niche. We noticed how great it was. And we have been in there ever since. I had to make a tough decision to stop selling like cool America shirts with George Washington and do the girls thing. But that was me not having an ego and seeing a good business opportunity. Um, but one thing that all the little successes I've had had in common was that I found markets that already existed. People mm. who like Notre Dame football, people who like America, people like monograms. And in my case, I sold them all the same product, which was, which was clothing, which I started to, from day one, build up. I learned about how to shipping individual shirts. I learned about how to produce them. So I've been building up my skills on how to produce and ship and distribute t-shirts, single t-shirts. And then the markets that I found, I've been able to penetrate them and focus on them. But they all already existed. I didn't have to create my own market or anything like that. Uh, so that is kind of the short story of how I pivoted through different markets, but throughout the same time, I kept the same system. I got better at learning how to print shirts. I learned new equipment. I learned the post office. I learned about shipping. I learned about production. So I was gaining those skills the whole, the whole time. Now I have 17 employees that are right now shipping, printing, producing shirts. And, uh, and we've landed on a niche that I never expected that has been an amazing niche. And I stopped on this one for now for the last three, four years because of how great it is. First of all, girls love buying clothes. Second of all, this niche is amazing. And we've 
grown to love and our customers love us. So right now, we'll see where I go in the future, but I'm stuck on this niche and this product and it's been exploding, doubling every single year. Huh. And I've just been, yeah, just kind of pivoting, learning, and then found something and I'm sticking on it and we'll see where I'm at in a couple more years. But I'm moving into a 22,000 square foot building early next year. Wow. And the possibilities are going to be endless. Yeah, congratulations, man. I mean, your, your success is, uh, it deserves to be recognized and validated, man. It's, tr- it's, it's amazing. And uh, I'm glad it didn't happen on, on your first swing. I'm glad you had to pivot a few times because that, that's a lot more authentic to how it is for most people in, uh, in business and, and hopefully yeah. inspires a lot more people that like, look, just go ahead and fail. Just get it over with. Dude, my first swing was actually this business. It was called Ponji Studios. It was six months, me and my friend, and we did screen printing equipment in my mom's basement. Let me tell you, we were lucky enough to get a few orders, right? First job, one of the first jobs we got was for the sorority at our college. They want a black shirt with a red heart and white ink. We made the shirts in my mom's basement. We were so pumped. It was the first job. Every single shirt that we sold to the sorority, they put it through the wash once and it came right off. It was the most embarrassing thing. And then we had this job for Fireball Whiskey, which was a really cool job. They wanted like all these, and I was just like, okay, I just got to sell, sell, sell. And right. I just have to get whatever. They wanted a print on the arm, a print on the back, a print on the front. We bought shirts with the seams down the side because we didn't know and they wanted to print across the side. So we bought these 500 shirts, every single one. We couldn't print over the seam. It was a catastrophic disaster. One of the most embarrassing things I ever did was bring this box to my luck. I never had to look the guy in the eye because I dropped it off at like his, his workspace. And then he called me and was like, what are these shirts? And it was embarrassment after, forget about failure, failure. Yes. But the, the strong embarrassment of what I went through in the first six months, not to mention all my friends thought thought I was stupid. They called me t-shirt boy. My mom did not believe in what I was doing. She let me go in her basement, but she thought I was an absolute idiot. And then my first few things were an absolute embarrassment. So Failure, if you understand that you're going to deal with it, it's, but just straight up embarrassment, which is on the same family as failure, is tough. And I could have easily gone back and got a job, but I just kept pivoting and I would just kept focusing and it made me stronger. It made me learn to deal with failure and embarrassment. And now, now as, as I have a podcast and stuff and I get a negative comment, it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. But just it's it's it was ugly it was i was fat because all i did was eat mcdonald's and i had no money and uh i smelled and i just had to drive this car around and i would put i just yeah because i was printing shirts you can't be too fat to bathe like i don't know i was printing shirts and like this pre-treat was like sticky and i'd like wash out these like screens and i was like all over me to like splash on me and like i was working my ass off losing money and uh and I would put like four bucks in the gas tank, like, like four or five. Like it was, it was just terrible. And, uh, and I stuck with it and I pivoted and uh, it was. So you was, pivoted was, from screen printing to, you said Notre Dame. Selling online. Yes. Okay. yes which is more, the better way to say that is this business was B2B. It was selling to other businesses. And that is great for a lot of people. I learned to love B2C, business to customer. Because Shopify, when I started selling these Notre Dame shirts, because I had the Twitter account, I put the link on there. People would buy it and I would get a ding on my phone and I didn't have to like communicate with this person. And I saw right away, I was like, oh, this could scale. Because I would have long, 
people call, get the what they want a price of 200 shirts. I call them back. I call them back. They get the price. They get this price. They want this print, this print. They want options. Then they go with someone else. Right. I love the fact that I could have a 4% conversion rate on e-commerce. hundred people visit the site, four or five people buy something. That's not bad. I just got to get more people to visit the site. So I love right away. My immediate thing was business to business and it was small too. Cause a t-shirt, you're not going to ship them. Like if it's big boxes, I loved shipping across the country. And I just envisioned how fast I could scale something that all I need to do is get an audience to come to a website to buy something. I wake up in the morning and I check my sales while I was sleeping. I fell in love with the B2C business model. And that's where I'm at today. And uh, that worked for me. And I just saw the difference is I saw how I could scale it. I, I saw a little tick in my head that was like, Ooh, this is something I can make sales while I'm sleeping. This is something where I can scale it to be bigger and grow across the country and I'm not limited by location. So I fell in love with that business model and that's where I've been since then. Yeah. I mean, for anybody that's like got an offline business and, and is like, yeah, well that sounds, I, I, I can, I could not agree with you more and I, and I could not more strongly desire to like breathe into people's hearts and minds, the deep love of automation hands, mostly hands-free. And it's not that there's not a lot of work to be done, but the most inefficient work in the world is working with your customer. I mean, it goes to the exact same conversation that you said about, it's crazy how productive you can be, a person can be in a day. That doesn't mean that you do, I mean, that can mean that you automate things that happen while you're not doing them. I'm running Facebook ads right now as we speak. There's probably 80 people shopping on my website right now. And I worked for that. I had to set up the ad. I had to find the audience, build the brand, all that stuff. But it's happening right now. And that is, goes to the thing that we said about you can be way more productive than you think. And if you're not going online and if you're not thinking in levels of automation, then you're hurting your productivity, which goes back to what you said. Yeah. I mean, I have, a, uh, I have an e-com store. I don't even know if you know that. It's not my main business, but partly because when I started my entrepreneurial education company, well, really before, but I was teaching people about online business and I didn't have an e-com store. I didn't sell any products that had to be shipped. It was all digital. It was either affiliate marketing or information marketing or whatever. Right. And I was like, I will have more credibility if I understand the physical products world of, of e-com and, and B2C. So I got a, I actually ended up in uh, acquiring a Shopify store from a buddy okay. of mine that he had built, but you know, it's same cool. thing. He had, he had sourced the products. We get them from China, but we order them in bulk. We store them in a little storage facility and we fulfill them ourselves. You fulfill yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a super niche product. The store does about probably 200 grand a year. It's like, okay, that's, I mean, that's pretty good. High, it, it, yeah, which is better than a lot of people. I mean, uh, yeah. but here's the thing. I have a girl. She runs it for me. It's a part. She has a, a, another job. She runs it for me. She basically does it on like Saturdays. Yeah. I, while we were talking, I pulled up my text message thread with her. She lives mm -hmm. in another town. She's texted me six times this year. <laughs> and that's the only involvement that I've had with that does, business. Does she, is, does she physically ship the product? Yeah, she's doing the fulfillment. Uh, but she makes as much from working for me for this business, uh, like one day a week as she does from her five day a week, other job. <laughs> She's texted me six times this year and I always reply. So I've sent tick my, my total involvement in this business. I've sent six text messages in a year. Wow. And I get 
you know, frankly, I mean, the margins on it, it runs about a 50% profit margin. And then I give her half the profits and I get half the profits. So I get 25% of 200 grand a year for sending six text messages. That is incredible. And I mean, it's, it's, what's, what's the products like? Is it that shirt you're wearing? No, no, it's not, it's not t-shirts. It's, it's okay. A, it's, it's okay. It's, it's a separate a thing though. product. It's actually super niche. I'll tell you what it is. It, but this, I say this partly just for, you know, cause it's fun to talk to entrepreneurs about our weird little entrepreneurial things we do, but also so that everyone can hear like, wow, that's a super niche thing. And yet he still like could feed his family off of that. If he wanted to, it's, it's a yeah. marketing product for people that are in a specific MLM that struggle to communicate their message of their product to people. So we created, I say we, the guy that I bought the store from created a marketing product that communicates for the MLM person better than they could themselves. And we just ship and sell the marketing product. Super niche. And we only, it's like a pamphlet. There's one specific MLM. Is it like a little book or something like that? A pamphlet or like what? what uh, it's, a, it's, a video, it's a video booklet. A video. There's, okay. also, there's also a sample kit. So there's, they can take their product that, you know, they buy the inventory or whatever, and they can put it inside our little sample kit and it presents the sample with some descriptive explanation. And then there's also a video booklet that they can give with the sample kit. That is so niche. You're right. Yeah. And yet, I mean, but that's the size of the opportunity. There's a million niches where you can go make, you know, five or six figures. There's a thousand niches where you can go make seven figures. There's a hundred niches where you go make eight figures. Like it's so big, right? I was, uh, I was thinking about this before when we were talking about someone moving to a new job, 40s, 50s. The second question I would have was one, you got to work harder. But the second question would be, what do I do? What product? If, I, if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm 40 and I want to start something, I have a family. Okay, they understand they have to work hard. They're, my second question, if I were in their shoes, would be, what do I do? What do I sell? What? And that's, that's where a lot of people get stuck. Well, and, and here's the thing, because they're looking for the right answer. Yeah, exactly. But the right answer changes and is circumstantial and is variable and is to some degree unknown. So what I always say is, don't chase product, don't chase opportunity, chase skills. Mm. Once you have the skills, you know what? You might bomb. One product might bomb, but the next one might hit. You only need one hit, right? Like for you, all you need is monogram shirts. Yeah. You know, you could take yeah. your skill, like you're a very good e-com marketer. And yeah. I could say, okay, cool, man. Here's my, you know, hemp oil extract for right. arthritis. Right. Go, go market this for me. And you might be like, dude, I'm doing all the same stuff, but I just don't think it's the right product. It's not the right fit. It's not the right message. It's not the right brand. It's not right. working. That doesn't mean that, the whole business model sucks. Right. You just know, keep, just keep adjusting. And that's, that's part of the challenge. That's the hard part. That's the hard part is the, the psychological and like the physical work of failing, 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 keep trying to figure it out. And then you're a couple months in and you're like, Oh, this sucks. This is never going to work. No, keep going, keep adjusting and find that it's product market fit. Once you find it, then you can just, st just penetrate it and stay on it. And then you're, and then you can quit your job probably. So how do you stick with it? Yeah, I, exactly. And when I, that's the thing. When I say work hard, I'm not saying blindly work hard on the, on, with a strategy that's purely just hope and prayers. Right. Like that's right. not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you have to gird yourself to work hard so that you will endure the necessary lessons and tolerate the growth curve and actually get to the, the end of the line exactly. while having been smart the whole time. Right.
you know, that that's, right. but you people say, Oh, work smart, not hard. No, it's work hard so that you can, you, so that you even have the stamina to succeed while you're working smart. Cause working yeah. smart is still hard. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Uh, so how did you land on monogram t-shirts? Like I said, it's for girls. And yeah. uh, it actually was one of the reasons we moved to Charleston too. It's we found this niche. I think we had these American pride shirts and it was like 4th of July tank tops. And then my, my wife started making girl ones and the girls sold more than the guys ones because girls love shopping online. Right. So we had this like niche of people buying these American pride shirts. And then she got a couple messages. Hey, can you monogram these? And we were like, what the hell is that? We looked it up. She convinced me to get a $500 embroidery machine. I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know. She convinced me. And we got it. We started getting tons of orders for them. In the t-shirt world, it is almost impossible to find a big enough niche where, okay, for the July tank tops, there's so many of them. And I can have a site with hundreds of great ones at the best price, but then somebody else in their dorm room can come up with a little bit of a cooler design and they can sell some too. The one thing I liked about monograms that I was better than all my other uh, brand products was that not just anyone can start it. It's actually personalized and it actually, yeah. we, we could not outsource our production. We never could. So like I might be the person one day that has the company that is fulfilling orders for that someone else is selling online. Cause a lot of people want to start a t-shirt company and they don't want to do the work of producing it. So they build up an audience, they sell online and they use sites like uh, Printify or Teespring mm -hmm. where they don't have to do anything. They just have to sell it and then they get a little piece of it. And that company is the one that ships it to them. The thing about monograms is no one else could compete with us. There was only one other big monogram company and I could, I basically, found this incredible niche of hungry shopping girls who will get multiple of the same item and there's not that many places to go for it and i saw that and i was lucky that my uh, girlfriend at the time brought it up but i'll give myself credit for observing and seeing that i saw it's kind of it's it's amazon proof in a way they have this thing called amazon custom but you can't there's no good you can't get good monograms on amazon and amazon isn't going to produce it because it's too niche for them right so it's this little market that's pretty big it's one of our competitors probably about 30 million dollar company we're like a five six million dollar company and we're growing fast yeah. so and then everyone else is a mom and pop shop on etsy that does it like there's a huge market with a little competition and with all the pivots i went through i noticed that and the one thing that I noticed is that I'm going to have to build a factory, but I'm like, I'm the guy to do it. And then my factory can turn into something bigger in the future. So I pivoted so many times and I was smart enough and read enough business books and understood what I wanted enough to just be looking around, looking around and boom, I found this thing. And now I've been on that for three to four years and haven't moved and I'm pounding it and I'm pounding it and I'm pounding it. And am I sick of selling girls monogram clothing sometimes? Yeah, sometimes, but I'm not sick of doubling our revenue every single year. And I know that I'm learning every single year. August 4th, pumpkin monograms start selling like crazy. I know that. And, I can, yeah. and I'm ready every single year. I, I'm learning the trends year after year. Now we're ahead on them. And we're starting to become experts on what our customers want. And we've built love with our customers. We're obsessed with our customers. And I don't know if I'll do this forever. I, I don't know if I'll automate this in my own. but and then do something else on my own, but I've been focusing on this niche. I found a niche that works and I've been hyper-focused on it for four years. And now I'm starting to see the, the, the big, like the bigger success come in from where I was in my mom's basement. 
And that's been the formula that worked for me. Pivot, 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 find something, and then just pound it. And that's been working. But I'm going to say this, you know, because somebody could hear that and go, oh, well, you know, he lucked out. He found a good niche or he found a, found a, you know, a glitch, an exploitable glitch or an arbitrage opportunity or whatever. He found mm -hmm. the thing. No, you, you find what you're looking for. You find right. what you're open and aware. To, I never would have been looking for that if I wasn't already in like the t-shirt world. Yeah. Right? If it weren't for your failures, you would not have had eyes to see. The, right. the potential success, and if, you, if it weren't for your commitment. Exactly. Look, opportunity knocks on the door of dilettantes and hobbyists all the time. But right. they, they either don't see it because they don't have the experience and the frame of reference that would come from being all in, or they don't capitalize on it because they resist the amount of work that it would take right. because they're not all in either way, whether it's because it makes you blind to not be all in, or it makes you lazy to not be all in. The point is it, ha it makes you lose to not be all in. You were all in, all in. So you would, you would take advantage of it. Exactly. And it had to be all in because in this situation, I had the realization that I'm going to have to build a factory. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so, so that brings up my next question. This is what I was just thinking when you were telling that story. Like, uh -huh. you know, you got a pair on you, man. You're, 20 something year old kid who's like, yeah, I'm going to build a factory to exploit yeah. this opportunity. How did you become that person that would take that risk? Because I know from experience working with a lot of people considering these types of things, most people don't take that risk. Uh, just, just blind confidence and dreaming big. And uh, one thing I learned from all the podcasts and the books I read is just it's never going to end. You always are going to have to continually work hard forever and ever to be successful and be happy because you enjoy what you do. I think I just got a lot of wisdom from listening to smart people. And I knew that no matter what, it's going to be a lot of work. So I'm young, I'm ambitious. And I, if not me, who? Someone has to go out there and build stuff in the world. It's not yeah. for geniuses only. It's for anyone who has a pair and, and sets their mind out to do it and is willing to deal with failures and challenges along the way. I've had many challenges since then. I was $300,000 in the hole a couple of years ago because as I was growing, I was spending too much money on Facebook ads and that was yeah. a big problem. I had to fire half my staff. I didn't quit then and now everything's going great. So it's just, how did I do it? I, I don't, I just, I just did it and I understood the wisdom from the very beginning that my goal is never, ever, ever to sit on a beach and drink tequila. My goal is to always be working as hard as I can. And once you're in that frame of mind, then it seems easy because if your frame of mind is I want to, at the end of this road, be able to sit on my laptop in the Bahamas, sip a Mai Tai, check my computer once in a while, check everything going great. That was never ever and is not and never will be my mentality and that makes all the difference in the world what your end game is i want to be 90 dying on my factory floor actually i want to live to be 150 but i i never want to stop growing and building and i decided that when i was around 22 23 and that made the path ahead look easy because my end goal was not to be sipping a drink on the beach and that helps Oh, amen to that, man. If, if there is anything that I feel like I have tried to declare war on in the modern world, it's this BS around this whole concept of the lifestyle business. Mm. You, mm. Oh, I'm so sick of that term. Look, work like an animal and take it from me. You'll end up with a really badass lifestyle. 
Yeah. But work in pursuit of a lifestyle, you'll have a lame life in very little style. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a misnomer. It's an oxymoron. It's a, what's a self- It's an oxymoron. Yeah, yeah, I guess an oxymoron. It contradicts itself. Lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, literally the word business, the root of the word is busyness. Yes. <laughs> like, if you want to have a lifestyle of being busy, then great, I guess. Don't yeah. But, and, and then the people that say that, they're not seeing the opportunities of the hard work because they're looking at it and they're like, oh, that's not going to put me on a path to the beach. They're in the wrong, they're in the wrong state of yeah, mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the ability to uh, not only endure, but to enjoy yes. hard work. Yes. It's very, very rewarding. We're biologically wired to go kill a buffalo and feed our family. Like, so yeah. the, the goal is happiness. People think happiness is doing nothing and having all the money. Actually, no. If you win the lottery, I hate the lottery because people think they're going to win it and they're going to be happy because all their problems are solved. No. You're going to be happy if you have a goal to accomplish every day and you go seek it and you see progress and you see it build inside your soul every day. I know I'm so much smarter and wiser than I was a few years ago than I was a few years before that. And I know in a couple more years, I'll be wiser than I am now. And that makes me happy because that is what, how the human body is, is wired. It's wired to be happy with progression. And that is meaning working forever. It's, you are more happy if you're, if you're building a business that takes a lot of work for your whole life than you are if you're 65 retired on the beach. You guys still got a lot of life left after that. And you're going to be wrap yourself up in your kid's life or I don't know. It's very rewarding to be an entrepreneur. In a yeah. I, oh my God. I could not, I cannot imagine a life. You know, the, 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 the number one thing, here's the deal, man. You do twice as well. If, if you work, if you create twice as much value, you're going to make twice as much money. If you have a job and you create twice as much value, your boss is going to have twice as much profit. And if you're lucky, you'll get a small bonus. Uh, right? Yeah. I, can't, I right. cannot imagine being yoked to a life where my value and my compensation are not connected to the same pendulum. Right. I can't right. imagine it. Yeah, oh. it's, I get that. Man, I mean, I just got to say again, you know, I know the, the physical products, e-com space. Again, I've, I've got one business. We have my company, Entrenation. We do sell these shirts in our Entrenation store. Nice. Um, that's really more of just a, like a break-even brand building business. Yeah. We, don't, we don't make, we use Printify and like, we don't make right, much right. money, but um, you know, t-shirts are hard business if you're yes. using, you know, uh, what do you call it? Print on demand. Yes. Um, but I'm going to uh, be, I, that could be my future being one of the companies that does the print. On well, demand. yeah, that's the thing. So like when I had my agency, um, the number one thing we sold, uh, Google, my business map listings and, and okay. optimize rankings for local businesses in my agency. The number one thing I realized when I went around to all, I met all these guys, I'd go to these events, guys that have marketing agencies and uh, phone sales conferences about outbound selling and all this stuff. And I meet all these guys and they're all so focused on the sales and marketing. None of them want to do the damn fulfillment. None yes. of them want to sell a thing and then actually pay a person to sit at a computer and build the listings. And yeah. I'm like, okay, so if I want to be in the sales and marketing business, I have a hundred competitors. If I want to be in the fulfillment business, I have a hundred customers. Right. Right. And I was, and so right. I ended up doing both. We sold a lot too, but, but man, you know, I sold, uh, I guess in six years, we had twice as many clients that we fulfilled for other companies that were doing sales and marketing Wow! as we did clients that we sold ourselves. And it was the easiest money. It's just <laughs> arbitrage. You're trading someone else's time 
for what someone else is you're you're trading someone's time for what someone else is willing to pay to get that person's time but not have to manage that person right 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 (laughs) it was awesome yeah people don't want to do fulfillment because they they think they just think it's it's dirty it's maybe those people have a little it's not sexy at all exactly they're like, oh, someone else could do that for me and I'll just collect the profits. And again, that's that little bit of that mindset. Now, your entrenation stuff, that is just a way to monetize like your, your brand and everything like that. Like you're not necessarily trying to build a t-shirt company, but for someone who is, if they're not to do the fulfillment on their own, it could just be a little bit of, of laziness and that lifestyle of being on the beach that we were talking about. Yeah, and it becomes a big liability too, especially if you're you know having products shipped from AliExpress. And- yeah, you so lose that's control. a whole other conversation. Yeah. Like there's a pandemic and now you're not allowed to import products from China and it sits at customs for three months. Like that you, have to, you have to tell, you have to tell your customer that, and that's a problem. I like having the control. Yeah, for sure. Well, Sean, this has been amazing, man. I, I'm like so glad to connect with you and, and uh, I'm so happy for your success too, that you're in a, you're in a, what seems like a fairly, uh, I wouldn't say, I won't say bulletproof cause I don't want to jinx you, but Nothing's you're in a pretty well, well-armed position in the e-com space which is notoriously um you know i don't know slippery for a lot of people yes brought with peril it's 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 very commoditized for a lot of products like like t-shirts yeah so congrats on building an amazing business how can people come uh follow you and get to know more about you i will ask for a, a a subscription on my youtube uh i have instagram twitter Sean Lowry 20. You can search Sean Lowry to find like my podcast where I have similar conversations like this, but I'm trying to get my YouTube subscriptions up. So subscribe to me on YouTube. Nice. That's actually the same answer I give. I, I, I like <laughs> YouTube because it's just a great way to, to deliver, you know, value without really asking for anything in return. I mean, asking yeah. someone to subscribe, that's a pretty low app, pretty small ask, right? Right, right, but, right. You know, just give, give, give and let them watch enough of your videos to decide if they like you or not. And if they like you, there's a decent chance they might want to do some business, right? Hey. Uh, cool. Well, Sean, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest on Millionaire Secrets. I want to let the audience know, we actually uh, set up a landing page specific for this episode. If you go to millionairesecrets.com forward slash Sean L, Sean is S-E-A-N-L, and obviously we'll put that link where it, it you know, can appear in the description. You can download our my, my free digital uh, download book, The Millionaire Shortcut which will teach you the fastest way to become wildly successful in the modern digital economy. You can also subscribe to my YouTube there, listen to more episodes of the show, and we'll know that, uh, in a way, Sean sent you, and we'll be grateful for it. So, uh, Sean, thanks again for being on the show, man. This has been tremendous. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks to everyone out there in the audience. You are the reason that I do this, and you're the best part of this show. Thank you. See you later. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entre Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks head over to www.entrenation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at 
Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome. Awesome.